You're tuning in to episode 145 right here on RNFM Radio. Well, hello there, RNFM Radio listeners, and you're tuning in here on the Pulse of Nursing. This is another special episode here where Keith is actually the one driving this show. I'm, of course, introducing the show here for you, and I want to just kind of get you pumped, get you psyched about what you're going to hear. Now, for all of you who are not in the least bit interested in the legislative process, I hope that after you listen to today's show, you will, in fact, be engaged with this legislative process. And you're going to actually learn a few tips, I think, that will help you discover how you can help move the needle, how you can actually reach these legislators or legislators like this within your own communities out there. So I encourage you to listen to these interviews, take in what these legislators are saying, these representatives are saying, and just kind of follow Keith along in this conversation as he takes it away. As always, I just want to hand the mic over to him. So Keith, it's over to you. Well, we're here in the Roundhouse in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the state capital, and we're with Representative Deborah Armstrong of District 17 in the North Valley of Albuquerque. She was sworn into office on January 20th, 2015, just yesterday. So, Representative Armstrong, congratulations on being sworn in yesterday. Thank you. It must be a very exciting moment for you in your career. I'm very excited about it. Well, we look forward to following your career and how it goes for you in this legislative session. We'll be following closely, and we really appreciate your time today. I'm looking forward to having our little talk. Please tell us why you sought elected office and what your passions are in representing your constituents and serving New Mexico. Well, it's been a long road uh, to getting me here. I started my career as a physical therapist and had a passion for aging and home health and long-term care were particularly my areas of expertise. And I was very interested in public policy around particularly home and community-based long-term care. So later in my career, I went to law school and focused on health care. And after that, went to state government and was the Secretary of Aging and Long-Term Services for four years. Left there to get more engaged in politics and uh, run an insurance program for people with pre-existing conditions. So before the ACA, it was how people could get insured. And opening became, you know, available representative in my area. Decided to retire after 34 years. So I said, why not jump in? I love public policy work. Well, we're very lucky to have a new representative here in the state of New Mexico who has history as a healthcare professional, physical therapist, and then legal experience. So we're very lucky and very excited to have you here in the Capitol. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, thanks for sharing your history. And we wanted to understand if, I know this is only your first day after being sworn in, but do you know your committee assignments as yet? Do you know where you'll be involved? I do not know my committee assignments yet. Uh, No one does other than those who got on appropriations and rules. I'm not on those, so I know that much. Um, I'm hoping to be on health. Don't know when we'll know, Um, possibly as early as today, maybe not until next week. Well, we'll be excited to know. And, of course, we hope you'll be on the health committee as well, being a healthcare professional 
with legal training, we think it would be a really great idea to have you on that particular committee. So I'm sure you're on the edge of your seat, not literally, but you're on the edge of your seat metaphorically, and we will be too waiting to hear who's assigned to that particular committee. So would you like to discuss the background and legislative intent for the caregiver bill that you plan on introducing during this session? Sure. It's House Bill 139, and I'm co-sponsoring with Representative Tomas Salazar. And this is a bill that asks hospitals to confer with the patient when they're admitted to the hospital about who their caregiver will be when they go home. Family, friends, uh, not paid caregiving, but who their, their lay caregiver or family friend caregiver. That person and contact information will be noted in the record, and then they, the hospital will um, engage them in discharge planning and training them in aftercare tasks for when they go home. And uh, we think this will heighten the importance of family caregivers and make the discharge planning and teaching of tasks a little bit more involved than just checking off a list of the discharge orders to and sharing it with whoever is driving the person home and not necessarily the person who will be helping to take care of someone. Well, this sounds like a wonderful idea for this bill. I'm sure we've all known people who've come home from the hospital with their discharge papers, which may or may not be as understandable to them as we would like as healthcare providers. And then their family tries to read the discharge instructions and no one really quite understands what they're actually supposed to do because those aren't always as clear as we'd like them to be. And also the caregivers and patient may not have been educated as well as they could have been. Right. And then uh, sometimes they think if particularly someone needs a lot of care, they're going to be getting home health or hospice or whatever when they go home. And so no one's worrying about teaching the family, particularly because someone else is a professional is going to be coming. But they don't come immediately. They're not there waiting at the door uh, when you come home. Usually it may even take several days and they're Um, None of that is 24-hour care. So the family is left with having to do care. And, you know, they may be on their own for a day or whatever until someone comes to the home that they can ask questions. And not everybody gets home help. We're hoping that this will heighten the importance of family caregiving and engage them more in that discharge planning and, and teaching them what they need to know. Well, that sounds like a great idea. And I'm the director of nursing of a home health agency in Albuquerque. So I'd be very interested to know that my patients and their families are being educated before they come home. So when we walk in the door, it's not cold and they've already had some information given to them so that they're ready to roll with us. And it's often the people who are on their own or don't really have any family or caregivers at all who really need that education and support. But even the ones with family need that education, especially when you you mentioned, and many people might not understand this, that the home care agency isn't waiting at the door, that it could be two or three days where often we'll have patients discharged on a Friday at five o'clock and the home care agency may not get there till Monday. So I can see this is for the health and benefit of New Mexico citizens, But it also has a financial impact because of uh, readmission to the hospital, right? That's right. We hope that it uh, decreases um, hospital recidivism and going right back to the hospital because you get in a crisis because you didn't quite know what you were supposed to do. Exactly. And this could be a nice stopgap measure for the families who are waiting for the home care agency to get out there and it's a couple days. And we don't want those crises to happen that are completely avoidable or mostly avoidable. 
if they have a little more education about what to do and what to watch for. Well, great. Well, we'll be looking forward to hearing more about that bill. And how do you envision this fitting into the continuum of care and what will be the interface with other providers in this particular respect? This uh, bill right now is only for hospitals, um, applies to hospitals. So it, it does not apply if someone is going to some other facility or if they're coming home from rehab. Hopefully a rehab facility has spent a lot of time training people about what they need to do in their in their self-care and, and so forth. It, and it's not meant to take the place of any other professional service that's appropriate. It's not meant to say, oh, now you don't need home health because the family knows everything about what they're supposed to do. It's just supposed to bolster the families and the individuals' uh, ability to care for themselves in between or, you know, along with any other program or provider that they may qualify for. So what do you believe are the best ways for your constituents or any constituents here to interact with members such as yourself? What mechanisms do you recommend? What can they do to get involved? It's great if people come to the Roundhouse and visit us um, and see what's going on. I welcome and I give everyone my cell phone number, my email address. I'm happy to meet with folks or talk to anyone about, you know, about anything. So I try to make myself accessible and people should reach out to whoever their legislators are and talk to them about their issues. I'll tell you what doesn't work as well is mass email that comes from hundreds of people that's all the same thing. So it's really nice to know when someone is my constituent. I'm happy to talk to anyone about any kind of issues, but it's really nice to know if they're my constituent. So that's helpful, and I think that people should reach out to their individual legislators as well as the legislators that have a particular area of interest that they care about. Well, thank you, and we hope that after hearing this interview that many of your constituents will reach out to you and and want to speak with you and meet with you and talk about the issues that are of importance to them, whether they're healthcare related or not. So congratulations again on being sworn in yesterday, Representative Deborah Armstrong of District 17 in the North Valley of Albuquerque, and we hope to see you again and we wish you a great legislative session. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we're here in the Roundhouse in Santa Fe, New Mexico with Representative Yvette Harrell, and we are here to speak with her about healthcare and nursing related issues. Representative Harrell, please tell us why you sought elected office and what your passions are in representing your constituents and serving the state of New Mexico. Well, I decided to run for office because I realized I had an opportunity. The state representative in my district was going to retire, and I had been engaged in politics and other uh, campaign efforts and those types of things. So I thought, you know, I really want to be somebody who can maybe make a difference. And I think we all, you know, say that when we come into a government position. But I actually came up here and worked in the session for two years before I decided to run for office. So it gave me a really nice understanding of how the process works up here and what to expect. But really for me, it was a prayerful decision. And I knew that I'm single, I don't have kids. So I knew I would have the time to commit to it. And because we're a citizenship legislature where we do not get paid, you really, I think, have to have a servant's heart and really want to get involved with people's issues. And that's really 99% of the job. Well, we appreciate you being here. And we hope this session is very successful. And what district do you represent, by the way? 
I represent District 51, which is in Alamogordo, and it's all encompassed in Alamogordo and Otero County. So can you tell us about your committee roles this particular session? Yes, they changed dramatically. Um, Of course, with the House majority changing to the Republican Party, I was actually given a chairmanship for our Regulatory Consumer and Public Affairs Committee, which was a very nice surprise. I will be chairing that committee, and we'll hear several bills that will have to do with social issues and also with some regulatory. So for me this year, I will be much busier because we will be driving the agenda preparing myself on the bills even more so than sitting on a regular committee and just being a participant, a chairmanship. There are a few more responsibilities. And then I also sit on the business and uh, employment. They changed the name. It was business and industry. Now it's business and employment. And I sit on that as a member. Oh, great. Congratulations on your appointments. Thank you. So can you please discuss the background and the legislative intent for some of the legislation you introduced for the school-based health bill? The way that came about was the school nurses actually approached me and told me their needs. Then I was able to work with them. I got the school nurses when I carried the bill two years ago for the school for the uh, EpiPens. We got involved. I got the nurses involved with the process. So they helped to write the legislation and then pass it around their association through the school nursing programs and to make sure that this would be a bill that would be affected for them. And so this year, I keep the door open. I learn a lot from the school nurses and from the needs on different school districts in terms of health needs and those types of things. So really, for me, it's a learning process. But keeping the school nurses and the nurses in general engaged in the process, I think, is very important because they learn, and as, as well do I. So what, if any, legislation do you plan to drop during this session that's related to health care? Right now, I do have one bill that I'm carrying for the Department of Health, and this actually has to do with OBGYN and midwives. And it's a bill that was established in 2008, but what this does is, the way to explain it is they have a fund set up for some of the insurance premiums for the midwives, specifically in OBGYNs, and it helps to offset some of the costs that come out of pocket for these uh, services for these professionals. And really what we're doing here is just kind of tweaking the bill. We've had it in place for six years. And so there are some technical things we want to change. But what it does is it certainly helps to prepare our midwives to be ready to pay for some of these insurance policies. But it keeps businesses in New Mexico. It keeps these midwives and these OBGYNs able to practice in New Mexico without being sent out of state because of these higher premiums that they pay. And right now, that's one of the only bills I'm carrying. But of course, we're still early into the session and we have a couple more weeks before the deadline for introducing legislation. So we'll see if anything else comes up. Were the midwives involved? Did they come to meet with you? Have you been able to speak with them some about this particular piece of legislation? I have met with uh, several members from the Department of Health, but those very closely connected and representatives from the midwife uh, associations and nurses. So we're on board. They've given me tons of information. And again, they've been completely involved in the process. And so I'm ready to present the bill when we go to committee and they'll be there with me. And hopefully we can get this passed because, like I said, it will really strengthen some of our policies for that particular piece of the medical practice, the OBGYNs and midwives. Great. Sounds like a good plan. So speaking of nurses speaking with you and meeting with you, what do you believe are the best ways for constituents to interact with members such as yourself? 
there's a number of ways. Some members are a little less available than others, and of course that depends on their schedules. But for me, I'm very accessible. So people will text me or they'll call me or send me an email, uh, come into the office. And, and really, I'm not opposed to being pulled off the House floor for, for a few minutes so we can visit about an issue or a bill that's coming up. I think it's key to have that communication going because I don't know all there is to know about all these bills, and especially bills that are very specific, So, for instance, for the nurses. So when I can have those conversations and learn what I need to learn and be better at presenting what they need me to do, it just works. So I'm always open to meeting and, and visiting. And I'm like I said, I'm very accessible during the session, so I try to make my time available to the constituency, not so much just in my county and my, my town, my district, but for the entire state. Because as far as I'm concerned, all of New Mexico residents are my constituents because everything we do here affects everybody, not just our districts. Well said. And it's always been my understanding that legislators like to be educated by their constituents because constituents can be professionals or lay people and they like to hear from their constituents so that they can get more information about what it's like on the ground in a particular area or particular profession. You absolutely nailed it. Because there are a few issues that legislators, I believe, come up here, and maybe that's their background. Maybe it's business or aviation, whatever, and you're very versed. But when you start working with a multiple amount of bills and people, it's very important. It's key to be able to sit down, listen, and truly understand the needs of the constituency and also how this bill will help their efforts. And I think that's the most important thing we can do is be better listeners. Thank you. So what else would you like to say to the hundreds of nursing students, nursing faculty, and nurse advocates here and all over the country who will be listening to this interview? What message would you give them? Well, the first thing I would say is thank you. Thank you for going through the process of becoming nurses. Thank you for saving lives and for being there for us. Because I believe that people count on the medical profession nursing way more than we say it out loud. So I appreciate all their efforts. And really what I would say is don't be afraid to contact your legislature or me. And let's talk about some of the issues that are coming forward or or that you foresee so that we can start making informed decisions. We can start bringing forth policy that would make their jobs easier and better. And I would just say, let's keep the dialogue going. And don't be afraid to try to educate your legislator because we need it. We need that information in order to be better at what we do. So I would just encourage lots of dialogue and to work together on issues. And when there's one that looks like it's going to be more contentious, There's always room for improvement in terms of finding that common ground. And I think those relationships will help to make that happen. Great. Well, Representative Yvette Harrell, you mentioned dialogue. So thank you for having this dialogue with us here at RNFM Radio. We really appreciate your time and we wish you a great legislative session. Thank you. And I'm, like I said, I'm easy to reach here in Santa Fe. So if you need anything else, don't be afraid to let me know. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. This is Keith Carlson from RNFM Radio here at the Roundhouse in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We're with Senator Linda Lopez on the third floor of the Roundhouse, and thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity, and good morning. Good morning. Can you tell us why you sought elected office and what your passions are in terms of representing your constituents and serving our state? This is my 19th year here in Santa Fe, so I've been around the block a few times, a few sessions. Originally running for office, I was 31 years old, just recently purchased my home out in the Southwest Heights area of Bernalillo County, began to look around and see who was my representative. 
or representatives. And I realized that the persons who were there did not speak for me, didn't represent my point of view. The plethora of, you know, why nots was there. No one was challenging the incumbent. And I thought, why not me? Good for you. And what year was that? This was back in 1996. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And have you always been in the Senate or were you also in the House? This was my first time ever running for office. I was blessed. You know, I had a small group of us who were out walking, knocking. Uh, back in that day, campaigns didn't cost as much. And that's just, a, you know, two decades ago almost. But uh, the cost, of course, has increased. But uh, we worked steadily. And I was a fresh voice and a fresh face out there. And the first woman elected from my community to come up to Santa Fe. Good for you. And that community is? Is the southwest quadrant of Bernalillo County. So it's the Southwest Heights area and the South Valley. There have been other women who've come after me, but I broke through that ceiling. Well, you're a groundbreaker. That's great. We love groundbreakers at RNFM Radio, too. We talk to many of them, so that's wonderful. Can you please tell us about your committee roles this particular session and specifically your role as chair of Senate rules? Uh, let's see. Um, of course, I've been here for 19 years. I serve on the Senate Judiciary Committee, which oversees many, many pieces of legislation. And of course, as the chair of the Senate Rules Committee, this is my 13th year as the chairwoman. We deal with all the appointments that the governors, I've been here under Governor Richardson as the chair, and of course now with Governor Martinez. And we do background checks, dealing with all of the gubernatorial appointments. But then again, we also deal with voters and elections issues, constitutional amendments, and many other uh, different types of legislation that come through my committee. So this is your 13th year in this particular committee? As the chair, yes. Wow. So you've seen a lot come across your desk through several different administrations. Yes. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of legislation in terms of health care. Yes, I have. In addition to the position I have here during the legislative session, we also do have interim committees. And interim committees meet beginning in June, which is you know beginning of the summer, through uh, the end of November, first part of December. I have served on the Legislative Health and Human Services Committee for 18 years. There was one year I couldn't make it because I was busy with my son at that time. I'm a single parent. But I've served on that committee, and there's been always many hearings, places where we travel the state. We've always had a report to talk about nurses, the importance of nursing in our state, you know, with regards to the state of health care in this country, but also here locally in our own New Mexico, about the need for uh, nurses. We do need them. We're still very much in need. And as the population ages, we are going to need many more to be able to take care of those of us who are the baby boomers, and, and we're not ready. You know, there's, there's a lot of issues we've talked about. Over the years, too, about educating, working with you know, nurses who are not just uh, maybe a two-year certificate training that they receive, but also moving into a bachelor's degree and master's degree because our universities are also in need of the professionals who can then train the others. You know, as, as you continue to move forward, you always train those who come behind you. So those are always some of the workforce issues that I am familiar with hearing, at least from the testimony. And you may or may not be familiar with the fact that the Institute of Medicine several years ago recommended that all registered nurses be baccalaureate prepared by 2020. No, I remember. I, I've read that report, too. Yes. And it's like, wow, <laughs> we still have a long ways to go. Yeah, we have a long ways to go. So just a quick side question. In terms of interim committees, for our listeners who aren't familiar with how this process works, 
are the interim committees what I suspect is sort of like research and development in between legislative sessions for information gathering? Primarily, yes. Um, During the interim committee, not all legislators will participate. But for those of us who wish to learn more, learn more about the issues around the state of New Mexico, I'm from Albuquerque, but all the issues in Albuquerque don't represent Silver City, Las Cruces, you know, Raton, Taos. So it's an opportunity to travel our state, meet some of other constituents that live in New Mexico, but also hear from specifically about the issues. And serving on the committee, Health and Human Services, of course, it's all related to our health, health and welfare, as I call it. So it covers um, issues about workforce development, um, statistical information that we get from the Department of Health, issues about Medicaid access to health care that comes from the Human Services Department, children, youth, and families as we deal with all the other issues that surround our, our children. It, it's, a, it's a very um, intense committee. But there are also 24 other committees that meet through the interim, uh, covering everything and anything you can think of. This means for our listeners, whether they live in New Mexico or in another state, that it's not just during the legislative session when it's important to contact your legislators. You can go to the nmlegis.gov, nmlegis.gov. Um, during the summertime, you can click on it and it'll tell you which committees are meeting, the interim committees, and where we are meeting that summer. So if it's in your neighborhood, if it's in your, your um, village, your town, please come and visit. It's always open to the public. And it's a good opportunity to um, meet other legislators from across the state because we do travel. And many times your own local legislator is also participating. Right. And I'm sure in other states there's similar services and websites where people can know what's happening when. Very similar. Yes. No, every legislature does have a website, and you can still click on their relevant to how they've set up their committee structure. But the information is there. Every state does have that available. Right. Wonderful. Great. Next, we'll have we'll have GPS tracking on the legislators so you can know where they're having coffee. God, no. <laughs> Wait, they're at Capital Coffee. Let me go. <laughs> no. If you have your cell phone, that's kind of a GPS already. You can block the GPS on your cell phone. Yes, yes, we can. Okay. So can you please discuss the background and the legislative intent for SB 284, which is the Patient Safe Staffing Act? Yes. In fact, I'm, I'm honored to be um, sponsoring this once again on behalf of our nurses here in the state of New Mexico. You know, over the years, there's, there's always been talk about how we should be paying attention to patient care and how important that is, because in the process in a hospital or if you're in a long-term care facility or whichever, you need, your loved ones need the care to be able to recover, recuperate, move forward from a surgery or whatever ailment that they are in the hospital for. We've had reports throughout the the interims over the years about uh, the lack of, how should I say, accountable, quality nursing care for our patients, for our loved ones. And, of course, we bring this in front of the legislature, and I'm honored to be um, working with the team, as I say. Let's have the conversation. We haven't been able to pass it and get it signed by either the previous or the current administration, but we're going to continue to work at it because it's a conversation that we have. It's not a Republican or Democrat issue. This is an issue for our loved ones and our families. As for those in every state I know has some concerns and issues. And here in my state of New Mexico, most recently there have been some negotiations going on to try and see how we can alleviate and work with the responsibility from hospital administration to let 
you know, us as the public know exactly, you know, what are the ratios that are in your hospital? You know, how many nurses are taking care of X number of patients, depending on the floor, you know, intensive care, you need, you know, much more specialized nursing for those who, you know, just, uh, just say more regular care, less uh, intensity needed, there still should be a smaller patient to nurse ratios, because nurses are the ones that make the difference and take care of our loved ones after they come out of surgery. Doctors do their job, but the nurses are the ones who are there to facilitate help in the uh, in the recovery efforts. And if you have a nurse being called to too many patients, then our loved ones are not getting the care that they need so that they can get out of there and go home and, and uh, move on with their life. So what else would you like to say to the hundreds or thousands of nursing students and nurses and healthcare professionals who hear this interview either now during the legislative session or maybe months or years from now because this podcast will actually be broadcast in perpetuity. So what would be your message to them in terms of their involvement in the legislative process or anything else you'd like to say to them right now? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for choosing the career of being a nurse. You know, I took care of my mother um, at home, part of that long-term care issue, which is a big need that we have uh, in our healthcare system. And I, I truly understand the little snippet that I learned about having to take care of a loved one. This was at home, but I always had someone I could call of a nurse to refer to, someone I could ask for some guidance. We had nurses that came to the home to help care for mother. When I, I've been blessed not having to be in the hospital, but with my loved ones, I've seen the care that has been given to them, and I so appreciate those of you out there who have chosen this career is to say thank you. We need more. We need many, many more. From what I have seen and been told with some of my friends who are nurses, it's a very worthwhile, very fulfilling career. And I know that as we continue to see the need, I'm hoping that government will begin to realize and understand how we can work with cooperatively with the private sector, our local hospitals and such, just to make sure that we're working to provide what our loved ones need. You know, for the future, this is not going away. The population is aging. We will be needing still many more health professionals to come in to take care of our country and of those of us here in the state of New Mexico. Well, Senator Linda Lopez, thank you so much for your time. We wish you a wonderful legislative session and a productive session. And we look forward to hearing how your bills move forward through committee and the legislative process. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much, too. So we're here at the New Mexico State Capitol with Senator Gerald Ortiz Epino in his office in the Roundhouse in downtown Santa Fe, New Mexico. Thank you for being with us, Senator. Glad to be with you. I'm, in, I'm looking forward to this. Can you tell us why you sought elected office and what your passions are in representing your constituents and serving our state? I'm a social worker by training. I, I spent 40 years working in New Mexico in a variety of, of settings, always focusing on, on how public policy is impacting poor people, kids, the elderly, the mentally ill, uh, those with addiction problems. And after all of those years when I retired, I decided, well, maybe now I could begin trying to, to be on the other side of the street and try to formulate some of that policy as a legislator. Well, lucky us. So you have a history as a social worker working in New Mexico? Oh, yeah, my entire professional career starting in 66 until I retired in 2006 was in social work. So could you please discuss the background and legislative intent for the school-based health centers bill? There was 
a uh, major change in our behavioral health system uh, caused by the, the administration summer before last declaring our 15 largest behavioral health providers fraudulent and immediately suspending their participation in the Medicaid program. It was, uh, by my lights, it was an unnecessary action. It created terrible upheaval within our behavioral health network of community-based services, behavioral health meaning both mental health and addiction treatment. It brought in total change in who provides services in this state. So the governor and her staff brought in five agencies, five companies from Arizona and handed over our behavioral health system to them. Then right as, right as that six-month period ended, we had a changeover in how behavioral health is provided in the state, and it became almost totally Medicaid-oriented, so that we now spend $590 million a year on behavioral health in New Mexico, but almost all of it is through the Medicaid managed care system. That means it's capitated. The money is spent. It's given out at the start of each month in a check to the four HMOs. A piece of that check is for behavioral health. They're supposed to take care of all the behavioral health needs of the state through that. Well, there's some problems doing it that way. We do get a great matching ratio. There's a lot more federal money in the program than there ever was before. But certain services aren't included in the Medicaid plan. Certain providers aren't Medicaid-certified providers. Certain clients aren't eligible for Medicaid. And so we have a system in which we're spending more money on behavioral health than we ever did before, being funneled down through a Medicaid funnel to five Arizona companies who have had a difficult time getting established in, the, in their communities, hiring staff, reaching out to people that aren't familiar with them. And the net result is we are spending more and getting very, very little out of it. My opinion, the state would argue, they say, oh, no, it's all is well, it's all hunky-dory. We don't see it that way. We think there have been some enormous problems created. To counter this, we created during the interim committee hearings a package of seven pieces of legislation that would create new ways of getting services that bypass that Medicaid funnel and that bypass the Arizona agencies. These would be non-Medicaid, all-state dollars, so we don't get the helpful matching formula. But we think they'll actually provide the needed services that aren't eligible under Medicaid to the clients who need them in the most expeditious way. And one of those is through the school-based health centers. We, we know that we already have an existing network of school-based health centers. This would add to their number, and it would increase the behavioral health services available through them. It would do that by means of expanding the staff and, and increasing the number of community health workers employed by those centers to do case management, which in our minds is the single most important piece that's missing from the Medicaid service package. They don't reimburse agencies for case management any longer. I don't know why. Other states do. It's clearly needed. It's clearly beneficial. For some reason, they stopped doing it. When they'd stopped doing it, we weren't able to hook clients up with needed services. And that would put it back in through the school-based health centers. We have a parallel piece of legislation that does it through community health clinics, the FA, federally qualified health clinics around the state, that network. We have a third piece that expands the way in which Milagro program, which deals with pregnant women and their needs, 
would be able to to access additional. Oh, and we have supportive housing. So we have four of the seven bills deal with expanding case management services through non-Medicaid methods that are out there and in place right now. And for a lot of our listeners who don't live in New Mexico, although the preponderance of our citizens live in our three main urban areas, Albuquerque, Las Cruces, and Santa Fe, we have a very large rural population who don't have access to services in these metropolitan areas. That's right. And and they do go to school, however, and at the schools, if we could provide services there, uh, that would that would I think counter some of the problems that are in, that that you run into when you have a very rural population. So we look forward to how this moves through the legislative process. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, we we came up with this package of seven bills and had some assurance from the Senate Finance Committee and 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 its chairman that that they would be very supportive of this. It would be phased in over five years. Unfortunately, subsequent to that, the price of oil tanked, and we don't have the revenue forecast, uh, the rosy revenue forecast that we anticipated having. So we may have to scale back some of these requests, but we're still going to move ahead, I think, with all seven of those bills. Right. So consumers are happier at the gas pump, but that means less revenue for the state itself. So... In terms of your constituents who are listening, and even constituents who are outside of New Mexico who'd like to interact with their legislators, what do you recommend are the most powerful, effective, and efficient ways for constituents to interact with their legislators and make their voices heard? We have in New Mexico an incredibly accessible legislature. We don't have a full-time legislature, so we all have lives when we're not in Santa Fe in session. And those are the times when we're most accessible, when we're back home. I'm retired now, but a lot of the legislators still are working at jobs. They still have practices if they're lawyers or doctors or nurses. They have their own businesses. They have their own farms or ranches. We are really very accessible. People call me all the time and say, can I meet you for coffee and talk to you about what's going on? We have a concern. We'd like you to sponsor a bill. We'd like you to fight a bill, whatever. So the very best way are those personal contacts. Constituents, people in the community, even people who may not be our constituents should never hesitate to make that request. That was in the job description when we ran for office, that we would be accessible in that way. I honestly don't know any legislators who say to constituents, I'm sorry, I can't meet with you. They will find a way to meet because... That's the best way of campaigning. And if they want to run again for re-election, they want to make themselves accessible. So the very best way is just to call them up and say, can we take you for a cup of coffee or take you to lunch or could you meet us after work? Something of the sort, some personal contact. That is the very best way. The next best way is if you can't get in touch with us personally, either during the interim or during the session, is a personal letter. That's my opinion. I much prefer a personal letter to email. Uh, I'm older. I, I don't handle email as well as I do personal letters. But I also think that people who are writing down something or, or typing it out and printing it out and mailing it, they're a little more thoughtful than simply because we get a lot of what I would call uh, astroturf campaigns. That is, somebody belongs to an association. But if you get 300 emails with the identical message on the identical font with the identical heading, you know, you've, you've just been targeted in what I would call an astroturf, not a grassroots campaign. 
And so those tend to be, you read one, two, you may even read 10, but after a while you just start delete, delete, delete. It's too easy to just, you know, then you count, well, I had 67 today, but it was all the same message as the, those aren't as effective as personally written letters. Third would be phone calls. I mean, yeah, personal contact, letters, phone calls, and then email. I've heard this before. It's a really good reminder. It's very easy to send emails. We, you know, many of us are on mailing lists and we get these emails where we just push a button and send it to our, our legislators. And we know it has some tiny minuscule impact. But when I've written letters to my legislators throughout my adult life, you know, I've sent letters, signed them, put them in the mail with a stamp on them. And I've definitely had much more personal contact on that level. I, I think that's the case on all levels. Yeah, even with city councilors or, or federal officials as well. Senator Gerald Ortiz-Pino of New Mexico, thank you so much for your time, and we wish you a, a very productive legislative session. Well, thank you. I hope it is productive. Well, everyone, I hope that in some way was inspiring for you. I hope that it sparked something within you, an interest, some drive, the needle, whatever that is that needs to move you to want to affect change, because obviously the legislative process is extremely important as it relates to our nursing practice, our license within our states, and I think our involvement is just really key here to have more healthcare professionals, especially nurses, within that political system. Now, of course, I'm not saying you got to go out and, and run for office as a nurse, but hey, if you if you want to do that, that's fantastic. Let us know here, hashtag RNFM Radio, if you are, in fact, interested in running, and we'll be sure to try to rally around you and, and pull together our community to help, uh, whether we live in your district or not, but we'll try to at least help move that needle for you because you want to affect that change. But anyway, regardless, if you don't want to actually run for office, but you want to at least be in the know of the legislative process, be involved, talk to your representatives within your own state, then this information that we shared with you today, hopefully that gives you at least some insight on how you can actually do it. So anyway, as always, we've interviewed the leaders and thought provokers here today, and we hope that you've enjoyed it. Continue to innovate and create Care for yourself while caring for others, and we look forward to having you back here with us again on RNFM Radio.